0: Thank you all for coming. My name is Lex Friedman, I'm Macworld staff writer. This session, as I hope you know, unless you're just sitting because you're tired, this session is focused on apps we love, their flaws and how to fix them. My thesis today is that it's hard to make great apps, uh, and so even the best ones suffer a little bit. I wanna preempt everything we're gonna say by acknowledging that we are free, and clear to criticize these apps as much as we'd like, because we're, we're starting out by acknowledging that we love them. So we we criticize and expose flaws because we love, not despite it. Let me just have everybody introduce themselves. These are world-famous Mac pundit minds on stage, and they're going to talk to you right now and say hello.
1: My name is John Gruber. I write a website called Daring Fireball.
2: My name is Guy English. I write software for clients, and I can't tell you about it.
3: All right. uh, I'm Paul Kofasas. I'm the CEO of Rogue Amoeba. I'm Dave Wiskus. I'm a designer for Black Pixel.
4: Uh, I'm Glenn Fleischman. I write for The Economist in Macworld and the Little Nickel Weekly.
0: Great. Well, thank you all so much for being here. I'm very appreciative. And uh, so let's just dive right in. I guess we'll start uh, with John first. Talk to me about an app that you love and then talk to me about uh, why you love it.
1: All right, I, I'm going to talk about an app called MarsEdit. MarsEdit is sort of like um, looks a little bit like Mail. It's a Mac app. You use it to post to a web blog, something I do every day. Um, I like it because it feels more efficient to me. I mean, it's you know, I think most people when they post to their web blog usually go through the web-based interface. You know, whether it's WordPress or Movable Type or Tumblr, they're in the browser, um, typing in form fields in the Web page. And to me, I mean, if you're a casual blogger, I could see exactly why that's good enough. But if you post many times a day, every day, small efficiencies add up. And using a Mac app is, to me, far more efficient in the same way that using a, a Mac email client to me feels far more efficient than webmail.
0: Understood. Do
1: so you use Mars Edit?
0: I don't. I don't blog often enough to use Mars Edit. Huh. <laughs> I used to. But so let's, you know, what we'll do to keep the apps focused one by one, we'll talk more about what's wrong with it now.
1: So, what's, you love it, what's wrong with it? Well, my biggest complaint with it is that when I post, when I hit the publish button and it sends a a finished post to the server, it takes about five or ten seconds for it to publish. Um, And while it's doing that, the window that I edited in, is blocked, there's a dialogue box that comes down and it spins and it says posting, and then only upon the successful finish of the whole thing does it give me control. So if I'm in the midday and I'm posting something and I hit publish and I hit the button and I instantly look and I see that I spelled, I, I'm linking to something Lex wrote at Macworld and I see I spelled your last name wrong. I have to wait 10 seconds to fix it and I'm just sitting there staring at it and then the dialog box goes away and then I can change that and publish it. So to me clearly it should work more like with mail like when you hit send an email it just the window just goes away uh, and then you hear a sound when it's when it's done you know and I want of, of course if something goes wrong when I hit the publish button and it gets interrupted and it doesn't finish I do want to be notified of that but 99 times out of 100 it's I'm just waiting, I'm blocked out of the editing interface for 10 seconds while I'm waiting for that.
0: Understood. Does anybody else use Mars Edit?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you run into the same issue? Uh, absolutely, and John, are you sending drafts or are you sending final versions or? Final versions, See, because right. I send a lot of drafts up to the server and it's even worse because you're writing partway, you're partway through writing it and uh, you know, you want to send it just to save it and uh, you run into the exact same thing where it just blocks you out and uh, and I've run into the exact same problem. Yeah. Now, do we think it's and uh, this is probably
0: theoretical on our part? Is the is the challenge for Daniel that it's um, that it's posting to a web service? Is it because he's working with an API and waiting for your web yeah. server to respond? Yeah. Or? The,
4: yeah. The problem is the web, almost all the blog interfaces are are uh, synchronous. They're not asynchronous. So you you have to wait. Um, I've got a blog that it takes it's an old system. I don't want to mess around with it right now and it can take two minutes for it to cycle through updating every page that the blog touches when a post updates and he's waiting on that. So, but he could build asynchronous parts into his software so he could be queuing things in the background and dealing with us you know freeing up the UI and letting us talk to the server or letting himself talk to the server.
0: Understood. Guy, what software that you love?
2: Um, so I'm a huge net newswire fan. I've been using it for, I mean, pretty much as long as it's existed, and I think everybody here is probably in the same boat. Um, what I love about it is that I'm sort of an addict, like for news of all kinds. Like I read, you know, all the MacWorld stuff, all of pretty much anything to do with the Mac, but a bunch of like political stuff, and even uh, like I subscribe to like Found or Dribble, like a lot of visual stuff. And it, I just love the interface and the way you can quickly move uh, move around the feeds with the keyboard, the way you can hit space go through the articles. I mean, all this stuff that people have been raving about for years, I, I love it. I can't get enough of it, and I use it probably more than I should, because it's, it's my distraction during the day, and I'm just constantly on it. So.
0: And, uh, I, mean, I, I, I mean, Dave, you work for Black Pixel, which now yeah. owns NetNewsWire, and I use Net Newswire every day. Do you guys use Net, Net Newswire? No yeah. comment. No all comment. Right. So, Guy, what's wrong with it? I, I could do this, too, but I'll let you take it. Right, yeah, exactly. Um,
2: well, Dave, let me tell you <laughs> what to do. <laughs> um, it's not so much that what's wrong with it; it's that um, I think there's ways that you could make it better. Um, Dave, take
3: notes.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'll let you get your pen out. So, w- like I mentioned, I subscribe to like a lot of feeds, and a lot of them uh, have different intent. Um, I have like a like an RSS feed for bug reports, or one for uh, like dribble or found like images, and I think that. A good improvement would be to, based on the content type of the stream, to display it differently. Currently, it's always like one post in the in the uh, right-hand most frame, the list in the middle, and then the feeds on the on the left. Um, and I think an interesting direction would be to use that right-hand pane to, and maybe merge it a little bit with the, with the feed list to present. They feed items in a way that's more pertinent to the kind of content that they're that they're addressing, and I think that's true for that's true for mail too, and like a bunch of those kind of apps. Um, so yeah, that's
0: get, get on that. Yeah, we're, we're working on it. Do you have uh, any? I, it's, it looks like everybody on the panel uses NetNewsWire. Do you have other complaints about the app?
4: I, I already had the um, I made bar re- bar related requests last night. Of Dave, but one of the things, it's attention, I think, is a rare commodity, and Net Newswire captures an enormous amount of information about what I'm reading. It knows the feeds I'm subscribed to, it knows what I click on, what I look at, even when I'm scrolling down, and I'm hoping a future version of Net Newswire will relate to attention more and push stuff like the Gmail extension you can get that says these messages are most important because we're watching you. I want Net Newswire to
0: watch me with my permission and tell me what's most relevant based on what I usually read. For me, I run into an issue with Net Newswire where Sometimes I'd, there's feeds that I, I subscribe to too many feeds, a couple hundred feeds. And sometimes there are feeds that are no longer capturing my interest, and I want to unsubscribe from them. And I, it only occurs to me to unsubscribe from them when I'm looking at a post from that blog that I'm no longer interested in. And there's no easy way with that post selected and highlighted to say, delete, unsubscribe me from the blog from yeah, which this th- post th- comes.
4: Th- there actually is. You right-click and select unsubscribe. That's a feature Brent Simmons added for me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So Several years ago, because I said to him that same thing. I, I'm, I'm glad you paid me to say that. But everybody who's running into the same problem I am, as, as I well knew before this panel began, just right-click on it and uh, unsubscribe. That's great. Very good.
3: Paul? Uh, I think I'm going to talk about an app called 1Password, which probably a lot of people are familiar with. It's a password storage uh, utility, uh, basically designed to make it easy to keep track of accounts that you have on probably hundreds of websites and other any any sort of information that you might want to lock up uh, but it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty simple tool in terms of just being a database for passwords, but there's a whole lot more to it in that it integrates with your web browser, so it can auto-complete and autofill fill uh, your accounts for you. It can create passwords for you. So instead of having you know, the one password that you have across 50 accounts, and when one of those accounts gets hacked, you're suddenly insecure across all of your accounts. Uh, you can have unique passwords for each, uh, for each account and then you have your own one secure password that you never give to anything but this one application. So it's a a pretty useful tool, and it's something where it definitely, uh, I started using it a couple years ago, and it really changed the way that I use accounts online.
0: And just by way of guessing, do you all use 1Password? Yeah. John doesn't, but you guys do? I keep them all up here. Nice. I started using 1Password when Glenn made me. But uh, talk, what's wrong with it?
3: Well, hmm. it's it's something where, and you, you prefaced this whole thing by saying these are apps we love so we can, we can talk about what's wrong with it. This is actually not even something that's necessarily the developer's fault. But recently it has gotten a little bit worse because of changes in Safari. Uh, it used to have really good integration with Safari. And Apple built Safari extensions and started locking out all the other methods of basically sort of hacking into Safari that 1Password was using. And the integration is no longer nearly what it was uh, the other problem is that it updates far too damn much. Uh, they, they, which is, it's a good thing, you know. They're they're constantly working on improving the functionality. But uh, when there are updates, every time I launch it, uh, I certainly get tired of clicking uh, upgrade and relaunch. Understood. It's like Firefox. Like every
1: single time exactly. Because I, exactly. I don't use Firefox as my main browser, and every single time I do launch it, I, there's an update available. So it takes like five minutes to launch Firefox. It's
0: brutal. Dave. What's your favorite app? Or what's an app that you
1: love that has flaws? Uh, I'm just going to read
5: off the list of apps on my phone. Is that okay? Yes. It's all of them. Um, as a designer, the, the, the low-hanging fruit for me is Photoshop. It's it's how I get my job done. I spend a lot of my free time playing in Photoshop. Um, it's uh, play, That tool and being able to obtain that tool freely uh, before I became professional is how, a big part of how I became a professional designer.
0: And I, I don't... I, I have not yet found a tool that can replace it. Now, recognizing that we only have about 50 minutes in total, what's wrong with Photoshop? <laughs> so drop the mic. Um,
5: <laughs> it, it's trying to do too many things. It is it is a photo editing tool. It is a design tool. It is a design tool for all kinds of different design. It is, it is so many things to so many different people that uh, edge cases or, or, or corner cases for particular kinds of design get left out. And even obvious things like uh, not being able to search for layers. That's the one that drives me nuts. Or things just taking a little bit too long or having too many items in the menus or having uh, having preferences that don't make any sense.
0: Now, you raise an interesting point. Though. You said one of the problems with Photoshop is that it's trying to do too many things for too many different users. What's the solution to that problem? And I think that's an open question for anybody. You know, it's Does that mean... Adobe's got to start making multiple apps that all do different things. So if I need a, a lot of features, I got to run eight apps at once. H- how do you solve for that?
5: I, I'm, this is going to sound like a joke. I'm being completely serious. I don't know that Adobe has designers using Photoshop and is listening to what they say. I, as somebody using that tool for a living, I, I can't look at Photoshop and say this was designed by people who use this every day. It does.
4: It, it needs to be. Well, that's the thing. It's it's the it's that. It also needs to be redesigned. You can't make. Photoshop work the way you want to now. They have to destroy several different products and rebuild them entirely and they're not going to do it because there's not enough motivation. We all know how to use Photoshop, the piece we've carved out. And I don't I wonder if Adobe could ever rethink Photoshop and all, I mean, you know, Firework, I mean, how many different how many different packages are in Creative Suite now? They're like 15 different packages and some are audio and video, you could do 3D stuff in Photoshop and analysis and they really would have to rethink the entire creative suite to make it work, don't you think?
5: Absolutely, and, and the creative suite is, is, again, trying to solve a lot of different problems for a lot of different kinds of people. And as a designer, you'll get people who come up to you and say, hey, can you make me an icon? Or, hey, can you teach me how to make art? Hey, can you do my app? It's like, do you, you have to understand, I don't just sit there and do everything in Photoshop. I don't know what every button does. I'm a specific kind of designer. And it feels like Adobe has that same view of, oh, well, creative people are creative people, and they want to buy all of these things.
1: I, I think it's I think the name says a lot about Photoshop's original like Photoshop 1.0 what was it meant for it really was intended for like the opposite of what we think of now where it really was one thing it was photo manipulation you know like you're gonna import a photo and it was the late 80s and it really was like maxing out the hardware just to open up a big photo and make changes you know just the ability the way you know to, to take a photo of a model and, and take the zits off her face you know it was it was like mind blowing you know but it was very very focused and then it's evolved over the years in these ways where nobody in night photoshop 1.0 ever conceived that you'd be using it as a tool for creating user interfaces but that's what you know you're not alone i mean that's what most user interfaces you know and when they when they added the layers feature i don't think they ever conceived of do you, do you use layers extensively like Absolutely. Cable Sasser style with like a hundred. My documents regularly have
5: hundreds if not thousands of right. layers.
1: Uh, yeah, so you've got like hundreds of layers in a document and you toggle them on and off to like show the different modes of the interface. You know, it, nobody thought of that when they made layers for Photoshop. That was not what it was intended to be. And I think anytime you have an app that is used in a way it wasn't originally conceived, you, you can step
3: back and say, man, this is weird. The question I have, though, is, do you love Photoshop like someone loves their wife or like someone loves their cousin that, you know, yeah, you love it, them?
5: It's, I, lo- I love Photoshop the way that people love their kids. There's nothing I can do to get rid of it. So I have to love it.
2: God, I set you up
3: for that You one. really
2: did. Thank you. Is the, is the solution like a more UI design focused tool? Is the solution sort of a more UI design focused tool for you or for your problem?
5: I, I think, for me, if I if I had to imagine a world with a perfect Photoshop, the perfect Photoshop would look a lot more like GarageBand.
2: Well, I mean, is that Photoshop or is that UI designer, Adobe's UI it's, designer? Yeah. It's it's. Yes. Like you, you keep saying Photoshop, but you don't want Photoshop. Yeah, yeah, you want a tool that does what you want. Like, yeah, it, it? it would
5: be yeah. it would be a matter of splitting it up into different tools, which right. maybe yeah. Adobe would love that because they could charge more money. Right. But there's a bunch of stuff in Photoshop I will never use, and I don't I don't know many people. Who right.
2: Would. Do you think there's a subset of tools that are used by UI designers that could be broken out, or yeah. does every UI designer do something different? Like I, all need. Right. To, I think it, that's the it.
0: right question. Like, do we does does Adobe need to make Photoshop that's just for Dave Wiskus, or is there? Could, could they make a better tool that's honed for designers that would be not too broad for you, but not so specific that it would only work for you?
5: Well, this is what I meant about GarageBand, is GarageBand isn't like a dumbing down necessarily of, of recording software. It's more that they take the things that people who record demos at home would want to do, and they focus on that. If, they, if you, Adobe were to take the things that UI designers regularly do, or, or web designers regularly do, and focus on those in its own product, uh, I think you could simplify the interface. Everything could be better.
0: Glenn, what's some software that you love? Well, I'll, I'll choose a crowd pleaser.
4: Pages is software that I surprised myself by actually liking. Um, I didn't expect to like it. Earlier versions, I didn't like it at all. But Pages, is it 09? That's the current release, is 09. Yes. And um, at the Take Control books we do at Tidbits, we moved from uh, Word to, uh, I'm still using Word 2008, no 2011 for me, thank you, and um, Too Dangerous. And so we moved to Pages 09, and I thought, well, I'm, this is, uh, software's kind of weak. And whatever, and the more I've used it, the more I find it actually does a really wide range of things really well. It's when you get into the periphery of things you want to do or when you want to bump up from something that's, I don't want to say amateur to professional, but when you want a certain level of control that Apple doesn't care about you having, it suddenly becomes uh, very difficult to do. But you can, you know, when somebody says, I want to lay out a newsletter, I want a word processor, I say Pages is the place to start. Don't go to Word, Don't unless you just want to work in text, don't go to a text editor, use Pages. So I actually freely recommend it now.
0: And I'm guessing that you believe the app has some flaws. <laughs> I believe
4: it has. The primary thing is, uh, is style sheets. And, um, you know, sometimes that's always been, I've been working with word processing and talking to people about how to use it for 25 years or something. I started as a typesetter and style sheets were when I was a typesetter style sheets were literally pieces of paper with styles written out this type size and what have you. So I have a fondness for them. People don't always use them well in words, but it word uh, uh, software uh, Microsoft Word, but styles let you define something you can reuse throughout a document in a consistent fashion by applying it to paragraphs or characters. Pages has styles, and they've done it wrong because you can't specify what's in a style. You can make something in the document, you can color it and style it and so forth, and select it and say, make this a style sheet, and then you can change it later in the document and say, redefine style such and such to what I've changed it to, but you can't go in and say, ah, this 18-point style needs to be 16 points. You cannot do that. And it's as if the people at Apple thought, well, we're going to do everything that's sophisticated except the one thing that would actually help turn this into something that's more
0: useful. That's well, the thing that maddens me the most. Yeah, so someone at Apple s- seemingly thinks this is a good idea, or do you think it's just an oversight? I,
4: I think it's a combination. They have to, They, you know, Apple's, one of its greatest abilities is choosing to not do things. I mean, it's like a superpower. There's a universe of a million things you can do, and they carve out a hundred. And I have to respect that, because the best Apple products are about the choices not made in some ways as much as the choices made. So, but in pages, it feels like, like a, we had to ship it out there. We wanted to get styles right. Most people don't care about this, and most people are never going to do this. But it takes it from being a tool that you can use for newsletters into a tool you could reliably use for books. Just that one difference.
1: Understood. St- style sheets are one of those things like flossing your teeth that everybody knows you're supposed to do, but maybe everybody doesn't do it as religiously. And so I feel like with pages, they've sort of designed it for how they know most people are, are going to use it, as opposed to giving this feature that. They should be using, and some people would, but because most won't, it like never trickles up high enough on their on their to do list. I
4: think so. It's it's you know it's it's half uh, behind it there where they did. Uh, I'm sorry, G-rated language, right? It's a uh, where they did it if they did, if they did it just like there's obviously there's an editor inside Pages. There's a way for the program to redefine the style. So all they have to do is expose that to users in an Apple standard way. It's all I ask in Pages
0: 12. So we'll see. Understood. Now, uh, we talked about a lot of software, five titles, I guess, and I mean, these are, uh, you know, 1Password, and MarsEdit, and Photoshop, and... NetNewsWire? NetNewsWire, and Pages. These are good apps, and these are popular apps, and these are uh, well-selling apps. Uh, Why is it hard to make... You know, a lot of these things that we've talked about are, if not immediately obvious, they're, they're the kinds of flaws that I think a regular user of these apps would encounter fairly frequently. So... And we know that you know, Apple and, and Daniel and all these developers, these are, these are smart people who are making these apps. So why is it that the apps are flawed? Why is it hard to make, if not a perfect app, one that doesn't have the annoyances that you guys are encountering each day when you use
3: them? That's for anyone. Well, so, I, I mean, I think it's, uh, there, there's a facile answer, which is just that it's hard to do anything perfect. Uh, but it's interesting to me because there is perfect software out there, and it's like the software that runs the space shuttle. Like that has to be perfect, uh, and it's incredibly expensive to make, and it's incredibly time-consuming to make. Uh, there's there's the there's the trope: good, cheap, fast, pick two. I think with this software, you're getting good, cheap, fast, pick three, but you're not getting perfect, cheap, fast. Uh, you know, you you can, you can get most of what you need, and it's pretty affordable in most cases. Photoshop maybe a little less so, but, uh, and, we're pretty happy with it, uh, and I think you know good is still uh, is still a pretty high bar. Uh, so there's always going to be flaws in this sort of software because it's iterative and, you know, it's designed for a multitude of uses. Whereas, like I said, something like the Space Shuttle software, they know exactly every every function that it's going to hit. They know exactly what should happen and what will happen. And you just can't have that with something like consumer-level software.
1: Well, I and mean, the other thing, we all picked apps that we use a lot. I mean, i Use MarsEdit every day. You, you read NetNewsWire every day. Um, Dave's in Photoshop every day. And when you really, really use an app and get to know it, and you use it every day, you're inevitably going to find the problems. You're going to, you know, when you start using a new app and it's all novel, you'd really just see the 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 front end of the app. It's the this is the thing that's designed to make the first impression. Um, it's after you really get to know it that you're inevitably going to get to the back of the app and find the, the, the part that's like just sort of cordoned off with tape and it's <laughs> like, you know, pardon, pardon our appearance. Any,
5: any software deficiency, I think, comes down to, oh, I didn't think of that. The design of the developer, whether it's a bug or a feature that you think should be in there, it always comes down to, oh, oh I, I didn't think anybody would want
3: that or I didn't realize that would end up being a problem. Well, I, I don't know that it's necessarily I didn't think of it, but uh, that's certainly some of the time. But I think also, you know, we didn't design it for that. Uh, And and Photoshop is actually a a decent example of that. Uh, You know, it it wasn't designed to be a UI design tool. Uh, So it's not necessarily, oh, we didn't, you know, we didn't think that you'd want to do that, but that they didn't make a tool for doing what you're actually using it for. Right, and and I would say that that's, I I agree,
5: but I I would still say
3: that that comes down to
5: they didn't realize people would be using their tool for this. They right, didn't sure, think of that. Sure.
4: I, I want to embarrass Paul slightly because I'm an Audio Hijack Pro user for many years. And I think there's a great. it's a great example of the kind of software that you use all the time that you wind up loving because it's a friction point removing software. You have a very uh, discrete set of tasks that you've defined, and within that, you're trying to fill that universe with more stuff people want. So when Skype first came out and was popular on the Mac, I wanted to record Skype conversations, and it was a pain with how it interacted with the audio drivers, and so iteratively, I get an update, You know, we, and some of the features are because I and other people said, Paul, can we do such and such? And iteratively, we get this thing, it's like, okay, well, first you gotta click this button, do this thing, pull down, blah, 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 and you record your half, then you need to use Soundflower. And it's, like, oh, okay, wait, we made it better, now it's this, and now it's like, just select Skype. And it'll record it, and you know, so forth. So I feel like iteratively, the things that were the pain points in your friction remover get removed. But it's you've it's that bite-sized thing. You're able to focus in and say, we know people want to capture audio from within the system or a mic or an app, you know, an application. And there's a only you know your universe is your bubble universe is this big, and so you're never going to suddenly. I hope you know put video recording and playback in it or something. I don't know. That would right. be video uh, hijack browsers. I think,
2: just to follow up on something you said previously um, about pages and and also design, it's about making the choices that you think the user is going to make. So it's not, yeah, the software ends up flawed, but it's flawed from a perspective of after you've made the choices and you've put it out in the field and how are people using it and how are they interacting with it and how, how does that design impact the, the real world. So it's, it's flawed in an interesting way. Like Net Newswire, I don't think it's flawed, but I think could help me do what it wants to do better. And you can't know that until you've been using it for 10 years, and you've got the sort of uh, feedback loop. you know. And you don't have that with the space shuttle. Right, you've got right, a very right, defined absolutely. set of things. You
0: know. Now, one thing that's interesting, and maybe it's a coincidence, but so far you've each shared one app. And all five apps that we talked about were Mac apps. And uh, I could be dead wrong on this, but one thought that I had while you were discussing them all is, Maybe Mac apps by definition are generally more broad and iOS apps generally speaking are more niche or more more narrow focused narrowly focused so is that that might dovetail with what you've been saying Paul that you know the spaceship is a very narrow use case I know that you're going to use this to take your spaceship up in outer space and I know you're going to use this iOS app in a more limited and narrow fashion do, do you have are there? Are iOS apps equally flawed with Mac apps? Are they generally less flawed? Or what's your guys' perspective on that?
4: Can I give a theory? I have a theory. Which is there's two things. One is Mac apps tend to be more sophisticated. So you have to learn it well enough and you have this invested commitment in it. And there's not necessary competition for enough apps. There are programs like Pages, but nothing that's exactly like Pages. I mean, Word is sort of like Pages, but not. So by the time I've gotten far enough into it, I'm not going to suddenly switch. There's a built-in cost. On the iOS side, there's a million, sometimes a million apps in a category. If I don't like one, I spend a dollar on another one. And the tasks that they cover are so small that I haven't invested as much of my time to learn it that I'm then giving up by switching. So the, the uh, switching cost is lower, too.
5: Yeah, the cost of walking away is pretty low. There, there's uh, Twitter. Twitter's a great example of this. There's a, a million Twitter apps. A, a Twitter a Twitter app is like Hello World. Everybody's written one. And if you don't like one, you go to the store and, and get Tweetbot or get Twitter later or new or, or whatever it is. Uh, but there's apps like Instagram, where even though they have an API, you're pretty much stuck with the Instagram app. Nobody's making another Instagram, or maybe they are. I haven't seen another Instagram app for the iPhone.
0: Right. Now, you mentioned before the show, and I, I echo these thoughts, so I'd like to expand on it. A bit. Yeah, I know that you believe that as much as you love Instagram, it's a home screen app for you. Uh, you feel it's flawed. Yeah,
5: I, I, it's, a, it's an example of uh, a so-so app for a great service. It's, that's an app I open every day, several times a day. And a part of it is the, the, the feedback, the, the, the validation. You, if Somebody likes your photo. You take a picture of something, you throw a filter on it, and now it's all artsy and cool. And you put it out there, and it's like, oh look, I'm, I'm not just you know, a, a, a dork sitting at home with my dog, I took an arty picture of my dog. <laughs> and um, I'm cool, I'm a photographer. And my friends go, oh, that's an adorable picture, or I liked it, or whatever, and they
0: hit the like button. Whatever the reason, they hit the like button, and I get that notification, it's like, oh, people like what I do. What's amazing to me is I found out about Instagram from John Gruber's blog, and every time I use the app, which I love and have the same experience with, I say to myself, I can't believe that John Gruber uses this app because it's maddening to me that it doesn't maintain scroll position. To me, that's like the single most important feature for me for Instagram is it's gotta maintain scroll position, meaning when I relaunch the app, it should be right where I left off. Instead, it puts me at the very top newest photo and I've got to scroll, scroll, scroll to figure out where I left off again. And so literally I think, what would John do? Why is John using this app? And how, is, how has Instagram not fixed this yet? If I could change one thing about Instagram, you've got a button that says like and
5: there's a heart next to it that means love. <laughs> it drives me nuts.
1: Hmm. I think that that's deliberate on their part though. And maybe it's the way I use it. Is it. For me, it's an app that I I may only launch once a day. It's like... I'm bored, maybe I'll see what anybody's posted to Instagram, and so instead of checking it like I do Twitter every couple minutes, it's something I only do once a day, and I, I actually, I see that as a feature. I like going to what's what's new.
0: Understood. So is, is that part of the problem that developers face in general then, that they have too many people to please? Where I want, you know, the, the, the easy solution, right, is let me add a preference to Instagram. Instagram developers are watching me now, and they say, we'll put a checkbox. Maintain scroll position or don't, but Many developers, and I think many of us, abhor the idea of keep adding more and more preferences so that you can each person can customize the app. But is that the answer? Is it more preferences, or is it something else?
3: Well, as a developer, one of the sort of ideas that I've come to is don't add a pref. Uh, if you can avoid it, you should avoid adding a preference. You can't always avoid it. You certainly do need preferences for some things, and something like that, I think, should be a preference. But adding a preference is basically uh, sort of copping out on a design decision, it's saying, "I don't know which way I, this should work, so I'm going to let them decide."
1: I I also think that that it's been like a sea change in the industry where in the '80s and '90s, adding preferences was like what cool apps did. Right. That was how right? you
3: saw new functionality. And if you look, the
1: older the app is, the more likely it is to have a lot of preferences. BB like B-B-Edit, B-B-Edit. famously. B-B-Edit. Had, As like a searchable preference. You actually have search in the preferences, and it's it's necessary. Um, And I think collectively, Mac app designers sort of shifted to a, we should have as few preferences as we can possibly get by with. Do you think um,
2: the fact that iOS preferences are in the settings app, and I think a lot of users don't actually, like real users, don't know how to find them, do you think that sort of helps cut down on the number of preferences and, and the, sort of the design decisions like that, where you just pick one and you just go with it? Because people can't change it anyway. Anyone want to take yeah,
4: that? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it, it, um, it's also, well, there's the design thing too that some apps seem to put some of its preferences in the Settings app, but some kinds of preferences that they think are different or more important are in the app. So there's things where I will write the developer and say, it's driving me crazy. I know it can do it. They're like, it's in the Settings app. Like, but you have other preferences, come on, you know, make a choice and sit on it or give people some hinting in the app for it. But I do think you're right, like, I don't know, uh, I'm not sure anyone that I know who's an average non, like, techie or power user has any idea that app, individual app preferences are in settings if you scroll down.
5: My rule of thumb when designing for iOS is, uh, one, no preferences ever. Uh, But if I have to, then it's... um it goes, the preferences are in the app if it has to talk to an API to make that preference stick. Uh, and if it doesn't, then it gets put into the Settings app.
0: Now, when we, I, I, and I agree with you that the, you know, the trend is certainly, let's get rid of preferences when we can, and let's not go preference crazy. But, I, and I think the, the reasonable explanation is in part, I want to know as a developer what your experience is going to be like using the app, otherwise I have to test every possible permutation of preferences to make sure that every new feature works with all of the different options. But how is it different uh, from adding those preferences versus, say, Adobe making uh, four different versions of Photoshop that cater to different uh, use cases? Is well,
4: well we, don't, we don't seem to have evolving software where it shows a different interface based on what we want to do with it. I mean, that's sort of the preference thing is, like, hide this, show this. I mean, there used to be those, like, um, what was it? What, what version of Word was it? Six had show more menus, hide more menus. And so you could have a version that was supposed to not frighten Small animals and children, and a version that you know had the full aggregated barnacle crusted version of it, but that didn't seem to be a solution either.
1: Right, you know, h- hiding complexity is never a good idea. It's, I mean, it's either make it make it less ac- actually less complex, or deal with the actual complexity as truly and truthfully as possible. Yeah, do you remember the uh, like the Windows 95
2: and 98 start? menu that would just start hiding app well maybe you don't because you're too much of a Mac head, but so the Windows 95 thing would if you didn't run an app for a while, it would hide it. So then you could never run it. And like down at the bottom it was like you could hit like a show all my apps kind of button. And it was it was really weird. So yeah hiding complexity is the worst thing you can do. You'd and rather just not
0: have it. And I, I would piggyback on that to say that I you know Apple I think we generally think is very good at making good apps. I think Apple's worst apps are the ones that try much too hard to hide complexity. I'm thinking of reminders in iOS 5 on iOS. It hides everything about, you know, even adding any detail to a task like scheduling a reminder to go with your reminder. Uh it takes, you know, you have to tap into the detail section, then you have to turn on a slider for either at a time or at a location, and then more details for those are further hidden, you have to hit show more, and it's it's bizarre, and I don't understand why they do it that way at all. I
5: have a question for John. You had said uh, a minute ago the the trend from the 80s to now is to, it used to be add more preferences, remove preferences. Now, do you think that that's because uh, we've removed preferences as more people have used software or more people use software because we've started making it less complex?
1: No, I think that the lesson that was learned is is that as time goes on, like you don't just design it. It's not like making a movie where you make the movie, you finish it, and then you put it out in the world and unless you're George Lucas then you stop (laughs) dicking around with it. Uh, With software it's like a TV show and the show is still on and you're still making new episodes and so the decisions you made before still come into play and I think the lesson that developers learned is that when you have a lot of preferences it bites you down the road because then when you want to make changes you've got to keep all those preferences or you're going to anger your users because you no preference ever got added that wasn't asked for. So somebody's using it, and you think you're making them happy. But then three years down the road, something's changed, you know, and it, you know all sorts of things, like the shift from Mac OS 9 to Mac OS 10. All of a sudden, when you've got to make a big change like that or anything like that, you've got to carry all of those preferences with you, and it, it slows the – it weighs the app down, I think.
3: I think in my mind, we had sort of a, a, an arc of software wasn't that powerful, and it got more and more powerful. And as that happened, we added more and more preferences. And we got to a point where we had this really powerful software that nobody could use, or that was very difficult to use. And we don't need to worry so much about adding power, but making it a lot easier to use now. And I think it was going from very simple to more compli- complex, rather, and uh, then realizing that, hey, just having the power isn't enough. Making it useful is, is part of it as well. Well, I think of it, it along the lines of hardware,
5: where it used to be all about like the megahertz race and the gigahertz race. And it was how fast is your processor? How how many uh, giga rams does your computer have? And uh, it eventually became more, well, thanks to Apple, but it became more about uh, how, how small is the computer or how usable is the computer. Now we have MacBook Airs, which are not the fastest things on the planet, but they're more than enough for what the things that we're actually trying to do.
0: And it seems like software kind of takes that same path. Now, when we talk about an app like Mars Edit, you know Red Sweater Software, you know Daniel personally. Have you
1: mentioned this to him? I'm sure, it's, I, I think so at some point. Uh, so, and I, you know, I think it's like what Glenn said too, that it's not, and I realize that, and I always, whenever I make feature requests to developers, whether they're my friends or not, Always, 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 I try to avoid assuming whether it would be easy or hard. I just say, here's what I think it should do. Here's my use case. Here's why I would like it to be this way, you know, and just leave it, it at that. Bad. Like right. you never say to a developer, you know, I think it'd be really easy for you to make it post in the background. I'm sure it's not. If it were, it would. You know, I think that's, you know, and I also think that I'm sort of an edge case because I'm literally a professional blogger and I, I use the app more than most people do. Uh, And so I don't think that the average MarsEdit user is as annoyed by it as I am.
0: Understood. Now, now you you two are developers. Is is John's approach the right one? Just say, here's the feature I want, and uh, here's why I want it, and would you please implement it? So um, my my question really is, how do we make this actionable? We're all users, we all use software all the time, and we find things about it that we hate. What do I do about it if I have something that drives me crazy?
2: Well, I think think you'll agree with me, actually. because I'm right, but um, <laughs> I, I think John's suggestion of um, asking for a feature is a good one. I definitely don't assume if it's easy or hard because you, you don't know. Sometimes uh, even the developer doesn't know. They have to investigate it. I think one thing that's valuable is not necessarily suggesting a feature. It's suggesting why you want some functionality or, or uh, describe your problem and let the developer along with the designer sort of work out how to, how to address it. Because the answer isn't always like... I mean, your answer... You get annoyed when you misspell a name and you can't change it because the thing's spinning. Well, what if you could just change it while the thing was spinning? And it would update on the thing. You know, like that solves your problem but in a different way than what you're asking for. Right.
3: Right. Right. When When we talk to our customers, we often hear like, hey, it'd be great if you implemented such and such. And I'm much more interested in getting information on what they're doing and why they want such a feature. Because that solution that they've come up with may wear, may work for them, but it may not be the best solution for everyone. But if I understand the actual problem that they're having, I can come up with something that potentially addresses it for many more people. So yeah, it's certainly something where if you have a, a potential way to fix it, absolutely make a request. Uh, but if you have more information on just what you're doing, that's far more valuable to us as developers. I'll
4: tell you, this is one reason why I support small application developers. Not small, but you know, few people, I'm sorry. Uh, people who uh, are companies that are one or two or even five or 10 people, because you can talk to them directly. Now, you know, I'm a reporter, so I have review and I get to know people better. So I may have a better, I'll admit having a better conduit if I write in a review, this feature is missing from Audio Hijack Pro. It'll be a more useful program. There's more of a likelihood and you can, you know, you write Macworld, and tell Macworld Magazine, when you review this, you left this out, and so forth. That's not a bad conduit as well. But smaller developers, um, they're looking directly for feedback. They want this information, as you guys say. And I'll often pick a program that's written by one person or two people, then a division of an enormous uh, conglomerate, because I know it will change over time to reflect the interest, my interest and those of other people like me. And I've seen that happen. Oh, I mean, Audio Hijack Pro, again, Mars Edit. Uh, NetNewsWire. These are all programs I use all the time, and partly because they've changed and grown, They're not, um, there's not a hundred developers working on it who are trying to include every feature like in Photoshop. And any change is a 12 to 18 month feature line if they choose to implement it. So it is a reason to support your local independent software developer because they'll listen to you more, and, uh, and then you can support it with dollars. You have social media; you can promote it on Twitter and say. This is a great piece of software. I use it all the time. You should buy a copy of it. And they listen. They make changes. I needed this thing added. And they said, ha, huh, you know, we've had a few requests. And, you know, we're going to go do that now. And it gets better and better because of your involvement as a user as well. I won't presume to speak
5: for uh, for developers. But for me, I, I'm i always way more receptive to, hey, here's here's how I use your software. Right.
3: Tell me then, a story.
5: Yeah, th- rather than you're doing it wrong. Because then I'm, I'm on the defensive. Like, well, no, I'm not. But if you say, here's what I'm trying to do, you know, what do you think? I, I love hearing that. I love that feedback.
0: In another lifetime, I was a web developer. And when I was getting feedback, I, I always found that you know, sometimes people said, I want feature x. And it meant I want feature x. But more often, it meant feature y is not intuitive enough, or I can't find feature z. And so you're right. Getting this, getting pe- if you tell the story, then you're more likely to either find out that you can already do what you're trying to do, or express it to the developer in a way that doesn't make the developer want to kill you. But, um, I'm editorializing. But, uh, so, I mean, we're, we're sh- we are almost out of time. But just to sort of wrap up, it's, it's, we, we established pretty clearly it's not easy to make great software. It's not easy to make anything that's, that's great. But if you could give general advice to not just necessarily the developer of your favorite app or an app that we've talked about today, but just to developers in general. I'm, I, I'm, my question is broad, but I'm going to actually go ultra-specific for just a moment. If I am Instagram's developer and... You know, Lex wants it to scroll to the you know, maintain scroll position and John likes it to scroll to the top like it does. How do I decide if I don't want to add another preference? You know, how do I make these decisions on the developer end? Is it, do I put it to the users for a popular vote? Is it whoever complains the loudest? So, What advice do you have to developers either at that micro level or on a, on a macro level? We'll go reverse down the aisle.
4: Well, I, I think the best developers, you know, they they listen, they make the decisions for themselves about what should happen. It's the auteur theory of developership, why I support independent software development or small software development. Is that, um, uh, you know, I've always thought, this actually uh, reminds me way back when real time, the predecessor of, not Premiere, was it, uh, or After Effects, the very earliest, um, I think Super Mac made the very earliest um, video editing program. And the guy who wrote it, who is now, it's Randy Ubilis, who's the head of um, iMovie on an uh, Apple's uh, team, um, the rumor is you wrote it in a weekend because it was built on top of QuickTime 1.0. And you saw this software and it represented a singular vision that someone had and it may have not matched the way your brain works. And I think that's the thing is developers try to remain true to the story they're telling with their software. Software is a story, it's a narrative. It's maybe code, but the best software tells you, directs you, tells you how to do something, enables you to do something, and sometimes your head doesn't match that, and you need to go find another piece of software because you can't convince the developer to change their internal story. That was very meta. Sorry, that's very high level. Cool. I, I don't know if I'd
5: have a, a method or anything to, to, to offer, but if my advice to anybody who's who's making an app, that whether I love it or hate it, uh, I can forgive a decision that I don't like if I know that the person who made that decision thought about it. I want to know that the people who make the things I use care about them. And if you don't, if you don't love what you're making, then stop making it. Uh, and I, I guess that's the, the best uh, It's kind of advice, but that's, that's what I would say.
3: Cool. Well, I think, I think an obvious thing that a lot of developers talk about is using their own software and using it as much as possible. Uh, eating your own dog food is, is sort of the industry expression. And you can tell when an app hasn't been used by the developer, and you can tell when it has been used by the developer. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's the easiest way to find a lot of these problems is that, like John was saying earlier, that once you get deep into an app, that's when you find all the warts. And if you don't use your app very much, you'll miss out on that. Uh, but the biggest thing I'd actually think is that uh, sort of you're talking about uh, software being a story and, and being true to your story. But I think also taking in feedback. Like when you make a TV show or a movie, you really stick to your guns, I think. Uh, and I think with software, it's something where we need to say, OK, this was our idea for it. But now we're hearing that you know, 30% of our users are doing something a little bit different that fits with the basics of it. Uh, but we do need to change our, our own perception of, of what the software is. Uh, so definitely taking into account as much feedback as possible is, is incredibly valuable.
2: So just to sort of get to the, the specific one that you, you asked um, about these maintaining the scroll position. Um, for me, that's a decision. Like the designer made a decision, or they abdicated the decision, and that's just the way it happens to work. But if you're getting feedback about a feature, and you've decided that that's your design process, you, you've you've considered it, you've decided, and you've designed it, and you've built it. And if you're getting feedback, you don't necessarily think about the exact feature, but you think about the rationale and the choices you made that led to that feature being implemented. And I think that that's probably the best way. I mean. It goes to the story. It goes to the feedback. But don't think necessarily about the feature. Question, your, question the story, but question your, your decision-making process that went behind it. I think that's the best, best way to approach it.
1: Uh, I'm more or less just going to add a plus one to Paul's comment about using, using your app. And don't, if you can help it, if you're, if you're an independent developer, pick, pick an app, pick a problem to solve that you have don't guess that you think a lot of people would like this. But if you don't have an interest in it, I don't think you're going to do it right, and I don't think you're going to enjoy it.
4: Can I add one comment? You said plus one. It just reminded me. I mean, think Google is the poster child of not doing this right, because you swear the software is either designed by aliens, like Google Wave, or they've never used it. they never thought it through, so that they don't have any, and none of this seems to apply um, uh, feedback and everything else. It just comes from another planet sometimes.
0: Very cool. Well, listen, thanks to uh, all five of you for for joining me today. I think this has been very useful and interesting. Uh, And I was thinking to myself, I'm surprised that no one mentioned iCal, which I think is full of flaws, but then I realized it's because nobody loves it. But I I thank you all for coming, and we've got, I think, the the Macworld wrap-up is next, so uh, have fun, and thank you all.